Well, there's no denying that um, this is not what we had planned for Easter Sunday. As we all know, this coronavirus has turned our world upside down, and we all wonder when we might be able to come out of isolation safely. And not only that, we wonder what will our world be like post-COVID? What will be different? What will be the same? Friends, I think that this is a wonderful opportunity where the entire world is on pause. And it's almost like a, a season of reset. And, you know, when, when your technology isn't working properly, what do they tell you to do? To do a hard reset, to unplug the power cord, put it into a, 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 a quiet state, and then plug it back in and, and see it come uh, back to life. And friends, that's what I believe is, is, is great about this opportunity before us. That we will, as the video we saw at the very beginning, we will rise. That this is an opportunity for a great awakening that we have never seen in, in our generation um, or in most of our lifetimes, lifetimes. And so I want to encourage you that this is a perfect opportunity to really think about what matters most. And to think, in fact, about life and how we live it and death and how we might embrace it. And that is why I've titled this message this morning, The Prescription for Life and for Death. We have all seen the news reports of what has happened in countries like Italy, Iran, and Spain, and cities like New York. And we've all heard that if we don't stay home and flatten the curve, we similarly could see untold suffering and tragic deaths. We already have, just not to the extent of uh, what has happened uh, elsewhere. We watch the numbers climb, and it's so easy to become fearful and pessimistic. We hear of or we experience firsthand uh, layoffs. We're warned by government leaders about the devastating impact of the global economy, so many negative effects. And we hear it all the time, 24-7, everywhere we turn, all the time. These truly are unprecedented times. In fact, I believe that the word unprecedented has been used an unprecedented number of times in the last month. So what do we do? Well, of course, what we always do. We scour the internet looking for funny memes and videos that bring humor and laughter into our lives. And we share them widely. <clears throat> Probably one of my favorite was a collection of pictures of people that were going out in public, and in order to do so, they were going to extremes to protect themselves from this virus. Apparently, desperate times call for desperate measures. I'll show a couple to you, and you'll see what I mean. This first one here, isn't that great? That's right. If you've got a big water jug at home, just cut a hole in it, stick it over your head, and, uh, and off you go. How about this next one? I mean, every one of us probably has, has purchased a, a blanket or a sheet set, and we have that bag with the zipper that goes around, and you can stick that over your head. Good for ventilation and things like that underneath, so that's good. I love the look of the Lowe's employee there that's kind of quizzically looking at this, uh, this lady as, she, as he helps her there. This is one of my favorite, too. Is how about this? This man with the paper face shield. And I don't know if you can see it there on the screen, but there's a clove of garlic hanging there. I'm not sure if he read somewhere on the internet that, you know, garlic will ward off this virus. But probably my favorite, all-time favorite, because this person was going to take no chances whatsoever. A man or a woman, we can't tell, in complete scuba gear. 
not taking any chances. But you know, laughter is good for the soul. The writer of Proverbs says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, and sometimes we just need a good laugh. Now, I don't know if those pictures are real or maybe they were staged. I don't know. But what I do know is what I have seen for myself. Last weekend, Tina and I ventured out together to get some groceries, and I know it's all changed. Don't, don't judge me for that. Now I just send Tina out to get the groceries on her own, and I'll stay safely at home. But she's a trooper, and, uh, and she'll do it uh, for our family. And, uh, but anyways, we're out together, and <clears throat> we see a man who is wearing a full balaclava uh, over his head and face with ski goggles on. And I was just like, wow, seriously? Now listen, I'm not making fun of him or anyone who wears a mask. In fact, now we're being told that that might be a good thing to do when we're out in public. And we need to take precautions to prevent the spread, right? But here's what I have seen as people all over the world respond to COVID-19. Underlying it all, is a definite awareness that a person can die from this virus. That's where a lot of the fear comes from, because people are afraid of dying. In fact, generally, when people are asked, what are you afraid of, they will say things like loneliness, poverty, sickness, uh, death of a loved one, and death for themselves. So we can understand and appreciate why all of these fears surface during a global pandemic such as the one that we're in. Woody Allen is quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I think there's a part of each of us that can identify with that. Friends, please listen to me. Hear this. Easter speaks to the very heart of these fears. It speaks to the very heart of your fears and my fears. And Jesus is really the answer to those fears. And that's why we say he's the prescription for life and for death. Let me show you why I can say this. For the past seven months... At TCC, we've been walking our way through Mark's gospel. We've called the series Walking with Jesus. Next Sunday, Pastor Adam will bring the final message in this series and an overview of the entire gospel asking the most important question, who is Jesus to you? And I'd like to suggest that you can start thinking about that question today. Because today we're going to look at the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16. Now, the first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels because Gospel means good news, and they they tell the story about Jesus, the ultimate and the only good news story. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record the story of Jesus through a specific lens. Some of them are longer than others, but taken together, they they, um, give us the complete picture of the life of Jesus. From his birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, they're all recorded in the gospel with an emphasis on the last three years of his life. We know that he died on a Friday, and so we remembered that on Good Friday, and his body was put in a tomb. His followers, his closest followers, they're called disciples, because they left everything that they had and followed him, living with him and learning from him. They, like everyone else, and maybe like you, 
thought that dead people stayed dead. But early on that Sunday morning, some women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, which is what they did to prepare for a burial. It was a, a sign, really, of showing respect. You see, on Friday when he died, in the chaos of it all, they didn't get a chance to do that. And a man named Joseph had gone and asked Pilate for Jesus' body. He wrapped it in a linen cloth to cover the bloody mess that he was and placed him in a tomb cut from the rock and then placed a large stone in front of the entrance to that tomb. The next day was the Sabbath. And here's where we pick up the scripture in Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. We read this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. What I'd like to do for just a few moments this morning is to look at three phrases or statements found in what I just read, realizing that all three of these statements are possible because of one critical statement from the, that the angel made in verse 6, and you probably can imagine what this one is. He is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. Now, I could spend all the time that I have talking about that statement, but there are these three other statements that, that jumped out at me and I believe simply put an exclamation mark on the resurrection. The first of these is the stone had already been rolled away. The stone had already been rolled away. So three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they, they're real people with the purpose and they knew where the tomb was because two days earlier, they watched Joseph. They had followed him to the tomb, and they watched him lay the body into, of Jesus into the tomb and then roll this very large stone in front of the entrance. And the following day then was the Sabbath. And so by law, they had to rest, and they were limited in their activities. Stores were closed. There was nothing to do, nothing they could do except grieve the loss of Jesus. They're devastated by what happened to them. Their world had been turned upside down the day before, confused and disoriented. They wait, grieving. Sound familiar? The Sabbath then ends at sundown on Saturday, so they went out and they bought the spices that they would need to anoint Jesus' body, but it's too dark, and so they're going to wait until the next day. 
Now, at the break of dawn, they're off, and they're walking to the tomb, and they're talking. And the thing that they are worried about was how were they going to get into the tomb. Verse 3, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? I mean, this was a very reasonable thing to worry about. They have a purpose in going to the tomb, but if they don't actually get into the tomb, they're not going to be able to do what they need to do. This large stone was an obstacle in their lives, and the women were worried about it. How about you? Anything that you're worried about today? Any obstacles in your way? Worried about your job, your future, your kids, your kids' future? Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, speaks to the worry that we might uh, experience at any time in life, especially now. And there he tells us not to worry. And it seems easier said than done, right? But he tells us, don't worry about life or about what you're going to eat or about what you're going to drink or even what you're going to wear. But he doesn't just tell us not to worry without telling us why we don't need to worry. He says it's because We have a heavenly Father who cares for us, who wants the very best for us, who knows what we need. He cares for us, and he will provide for us. And the only thing he says that we need to do is found in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's exactly what the women heading to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday were doing. They were seeking to honor Jesus, to serve him. And Mark says in verse 4, But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. The very thing that they were worried about had already been taken care of. Friends, I know what we're going through is hard. And worry is a very natural response. But the right response is one of trust. Can we trust one? Can we trust God to take care of our needs? Can we, like the women, look up and see what God is able to do to remind ourselves that this God that we love and worship and serve is a miracle-working God, and he has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. He has the power to meet our needs and to roll away stones. The stone is had already been rolled aside. The second statement is this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. So the three women now, they go into the tomb because the stone had been rolled away, and they see their young man wearing a white robe, an angel. And understandably, they're shocked. And what they're feeling on the inside is immediately obvious on the outside. And the angel recognizes this, so he says to them, Don't be alarmed. He knew why they were afraid and why they had this bewildered and confused look on their face. And so he goes on to say, You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. 
past tense because it's no longer there. Now, I don't know if there's a single word that could capture the emotions and the thoughts and the reactions of the women at the tomb that day. Can you even imagine the horror of what they had seen firsthand on Friday? The grief that they felt on Saturday? The disappointment of shattered dreams? The the fear that they would have felt having watched their leader die this horrible death? What if they come after us? Talk about being completely disoriented. And the angel tries to reassure them. Hey, listen, don't be so upset. I I know you're looking for Jesus who, who died, but he's not here. Yeah, sure, this is where his lifeless body was laid. But now it's gone. He has risen from the dead. Now, we think that they would just go, oh, okay, that's fine. (laughs) But they're human, like you and I. And so they're still freaking out, because if you look at verse 8, we read that the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were so frightened. You know, in light of the coronavirus, don't we have some of those same emotions? Sure, they probably vary in degree, depending on maybe where you live in the world and what your job might be, or or if you're already laid off. There's all sorts of different things that are happening. But all of us are being impacted in some way, and it's unique to each of us. It's very individual. But yet, what that does in each of us is raise fear. Fear is a very real human emotion. And we respond to fear both physiologically, that's the way that God designed us, that we could have an external, obvious response to fear that we feel, and we respond emotionally. But for those who know Jesus, those who have surrendered their lives to him, They now know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He offers us peace for our troubled minds and offers us freedom from our fear. And when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit whispers truth into every situation we face in life. The Bible is God's word, and when we read it, God's truth can replace anxiety and fear with hope and healing. It's as if we run into the empty tomb and we're greeted by an angel who says, don't be alarmed. And in an instant, we know God's peace. And like the women at the tomb, sometimes that peace takes some time to take hold in our lives. But friends, when we read verses such as these, John 14, 27, Jesus saying, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Or Isaiah 41, 10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Familiar words from Psalm 23. And in Deuteronomy 31.8, we read this. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why can we say that? Because he is risen. And the last statement, it really flows from what I just shared in those scripture verses Jesus is going ahead of you. You see, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is with you. His spirit is within you. And God, as the Father, is protecting and caring for you. And as we just saw in these verses, he goes on ahead of you. And our responsibility is simply to trust and to follow him. The image that we have here really is of a shepherd leading his sheep. A shepherd who loves his sheep, a shepherd who feeds his sheep, who protects his sheep, who wants the very best for his sheep. In verse 7 of the text that we're looking at this morning, the angel says to the women in the tomb, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. I love that little addition and just a little aside here. I mean, Peter was the one who had royally messed up, had denied Jesus three times, even though he had said that he wouldn't do that. And so it's like the angels make make sure Peter, because he's probably feeling pretty down and out right now. But make sure you bring Peter and go and tell him that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there just as he told you before he died. It's interesting, right? Because the angel has insider information here. Because Jesus in Mark chapter 14, just a couple chapters earlier in verse 28 says, But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. I mean, Jesus told his disciples on several occasions exactly what was going to happen to him. He predicted his own death. They just didn't believe him. They just didn't understand it. But he also would always tell them that he was going to rise again on the third day. Friends, when life doesn't go the way we plan, when it gets turned upside down, remember this, that God has a purpose and a plan. It's too mysterious for us to understand or to explain, but to have that trust and the confidence that he does have a plan, that it is about his glory and it's for our good. He knows what he's doing and we can trust him. And he gives us direction and meaning in life. And so we follow him as our good shepherd. And why? Because he has risen. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Instead of worry and fear and disorientation, we experience God's provision, his peace, and his presence. The very fact that Mark could write, the stone had already been rolled aside, meaning instead of worrying, we can trust God to provide. That Mark could write, don't be alarmed, these words of the angel, meaning instead of fear, we can know God's peace. So that he could write, Jesus is going ahead of you. Meaning, instead of being disoriented, we follow after Jesus and we know 
his presence with us. And all of that is possible because of the truth that he is risen. Are there any more amazing words? I mean, this single, simple declaration delivered by an angel. Jesus has conquered the grave. He has defeated death. Love has won. Friends, that is the hope of Easter. No matter what we experience in life, it's a relationship with Jesus that allows us to face all of our circumstances with hope. Friends, let's be real. There is a sickness in our world that is far more serious than the coronavirus. From the time Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, sin has plagued humanity. And as a result, not only are we separated from God, but the Bible says that we're actually enemies of God. And everyone is infected. Because Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have missed the mark. And so we have a serious problem. We're separated from God. We're, We're faced with the reality of our own sin. But God, God who goes before us, has a plan. And he demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And as a result, we have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. And then he rose again on the third day. He was victorious over death. And that's why even before he died, he could declare in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus looks to his followers and he looks to us and asks, do you believe this? Friends, there's only one of two answers. It's either yes, I believe that, or no, I don't. And if you do, then you know your eternal destiny. You know that it is secure. And you can declare, as the Apostle Paul did in Philippians 1.21, for to me, living means living for Christ And dying is even better. That sounds a lot different than Woody Allen's, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? This is the Apostle Paul declaring with confidence and with assurance and with joy, for to me, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. But dying is even better. Forgiveness for the past eternal life for the future, and hope and confidence and joy and purpose now. A full and abundant life lived for Jesus. Friends, it doesn't get any better than that. That's the good news. That's the message of Easter. We had a a sin problem. Jesus paid the price for our sin, but he rose again so we could have eternal and everlasting life. But if you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again today, can I ask you at least take some time to further explore this truth. You see, I believe with all of my heart 
that the best life is lived in relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're immune from hardship or suffering, but it does mean that in life and in death, we have hope. If you feel the Spirit of God stirring in your heart and you have never said yes to Jesus, I want to close this morning by leading you in a prayer. And this is for those of you who can't say yes to believing the truth of the resurrection, but yet inside you know that there's a stirring going on, that there is something to be said about this truth of the resurrection, about Jesus. And I invite you to pray this prayer. It'll be on the bottom there so you can read it and follow along on the screen as well. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you that you loved me so much that you sent Jesus, your son, to live and to die for my sins. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to our world. I believe you are the son of God, that you lived among us, that you were crucified and died for my sin. I also believe that you rose again. I do receive this gift of grace today and ask you to forgive my sins, to come into my life and journey with me as my Savior and Lord. Show me how to follow you in the days ahead. Amen and amen. I'm going to invite you to sing, friends, because this is the declaration that we can all make, that Jesus Christ is our living hope. And we're going to sing this song. It's led by our worship team this morning. And again, just allow these words to be a declaration of what you believe, the truth you believe, and an expression of the deep joy and hope that you have in your hearts. And so let's sing together.